It's the Pittsburgh Oddcast. Welcome everybody back to the Pittsburgh Oddcast. My name is Andrew Lindbergh, and with me as always is the founder of Odd Pittsburgh, John Chalkowski. Well, hello everybody. This week, we decided to uh, do a special episode. And, uh, and now while we do talk on most of our episodes about you know African-American achievements and accomplishments and uh, world firsts here in Pittsburgh... I wanted to bring uh, a special guest, uh, Jaquay Edward Carter from the Greater Hazelwood Historical Society, on with us and knows their history. I got to tell you, man, the it's one thing for someone like me to post every day, you know, about the history of Pittsburgh and and, and you know I try I post about every single thing there is, right? Um, but you specialize in one thing, you know, it, it, uh, at least for Hazelwood, um, you know, for historical society, and that's kind of turned into something that you may or may have not known that it was going to turn into. Um, same thing with Odd Pittsburgh. I had no idea that me doing uh, things through Ross Township or Westview or North Hills history in general would lead me to doing this gigantic thing of uh, the complete epic history of Pittsburgh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Same, right? So uh, now let's go back to uh, before we get into the Greater Hazelwood Historical Society – I do want to find out a little bit about you. So um, where were you born and raised, uh, and really kind of what got you into history? Um, well, I was born in Hazelwood, um, actually Glen Hazel, which is a sub-community above um, Hazelwood, which was a, a former, um, uh, it was a defense workers um, housing project, uh, one of the, actually the largest in Pittsburgh, uh, Glen Hazel, where uh, workers were removed from the homestead still works and moved across the bridge into this new community where um, actually my great-grandfather was one of those people. Uh, so we had been in the community um, for four generations uh, since 1942. Wow. And my dad uh, moved from the north side uh, to Hazelwood in 1970, uh, where he met my mom the year later. I mean, the next year. And, um, you know, we basically, uh, history... Ever since then, uh, we've been, uh, you know, back to where it all began, history, man. Yes, yeah, absolutely. exactly, exactly. So, what what inspired you? I mean, just I, I know, like myself, um, growing up as a kid in Pittsburgh and uh, walking down Babcock Boulevard, for example, right, and uh, hearing these rumors that there once was a a trolley that ran down there behind this car wash wow. <laughs> through the woods, and that if you knew where to look, you could look on the ground and still find some of the uh, little parts you know left over like what could be a uh, an old nail or some kind of like hunk of metal or even sub- sometimes the tracks and that's kind of what got me interested in looking into like what is literally in my own backyard and, and go from there <laughs> you know? yes is that was that kind of similar to you growing up or, or how was it different um well growing up in the neighborhood um i had heard a lot of the stories of how the community uh used to look uh, which was very drastically changed uh, since, you know, when I came up. Uh, so I was looking around for different clues of uh, what was in this vacant spot or, you know, what is this uh, old metal piece sticking up out of the ground for um, near the mill site or something. Um, so really uh, fascinated by the mill site and what was uh, left over by there. Could always see, uh, you know, off of the main drag some of the uh, old steel remnants um i could actually remember the still operating and the, the smell of sulfur and things like that so 
um, just those kind of memories, I think, brought it back for me. Yeah. Interesting. So, like, what did, did, were you involved with, like, history type of organizations even in high school? Or, or was it mainly, like, college or the afterwards? Or um, Actually, all my life I have been um, interested in history. I'm always asking questions when I was a kid of uh, my parents about, uh, you know, their experiences uh, back in the 60s and 70s, which I think is a really cool, yeah. uh, you know, time period as far as history is concerned. So I would ask some questions and um, especially about my family and, you know, sort of like, you know, as far back as they could, uh, you know, remember um, and, and genealogy and stuff of their uh, grandparents or anything. Um, and then, you know, I was looking at books and, and cultural atlases and uh, historical things um, ever since I was a kid, um, you know, collecting stamps and coins and right, all right. kind of uh, peculiar things like that, um, which I thought was really interesting. And then, you know, participating in uh, Black History Bowls and uh, speaking at my church and things like that on the uh, Black History side, which was really cool. Uh, so that really became um, really one of my strong passions um, as a teenager, even. So really right, early right. on and then, of course, continued on, um, you know, through college and everything. My question for you is your, your upbringing, you grew up in Hazelwood. And as a white guy from the suburbs... When I would hear about Hazelwood, it was always about there was a crime happening. And I thought, oh, Hazelwood must be a horrible place to go. What was it like growing up there? Well, that totally is, different? Well, that is really um, a, a great uh, kind of uh, synopsis of Hazelwood, um, you know, based on the media and sort of the economic depression that happened to the neighborhood after the steel industry uh, decline. And that's really when I came up, you know, uh, throughout the 80s when the steel mill closed and the business, businesses were disappearing um, and they would call the main drag Depression Corridor. Uh, so it, it really, I would always hear things about how it used to be with, you know, two uh, movie theaters and all these grocery stores and, you know, so many different things uh, happening as far as culture and activities and things for people to do there. Uh, but when I was growing up, it really had um, died down a bit. Uh, so early on, um, before I was 10, my parents moved um, actually back to Homestead, where my family um, had originally lived, which at that time had a, had a much better uh, school system and, um, you know, more diverse and kind of more economic opportunities uh, than Hazelwood did at the time. But I still stayed connected with Hazelwood through our church and, you know, through um, a lot of our family that still was there. And, you know, basically grew up in both um, Homestead and Hazelwood. Right. You know, speaking of your church, I remember um, we, we we had had you on uh, the Saturday show that we did with Robert yes. Mangino and um, who some might listeners so might remember fun. from an episode. But uh, it was fantastic. You know, all these little uh, these stories that were coming out and it would even had callers, you know, <laughs> which was pretty cool. You, you mentioned uh, you know being still being involved in the church in Hazelwood and um, and the thing that I found fascinating was your ancestral connection to the the, the Black Presbyterian Church here in Pittsburgh in that uh, your family was indeed the first pastor <laughs> of a Presbyterian church here in Pittsburgh uh, for African Americans and uh, it, what's that like to know in your roots you know in your own DNA you you have these these leaders you know these people who want to gather a community and actually uh you know help make a change and make a difference in people's lives 
and uh, to be an ancestor, you know, a descendant of that uh, must feel very cool, you know, <laughs> I mean, to be truth, be told. Yes. I mean, all I can really say is, wow. Um, you know, this was something that I recently learned of, uh, which is, you know, really sad, uh, you know, in African-American families. A lot of the stories, I mean, good or bad, I mean, they're not passed down uh, throughout the generations, um, sometimes because of shame or, you know, just because of poor record keeping. Uh, I mean, you know, tons of different reasons why. Um, but this particular story, I did not know anything about except for the past couple of years. Uh, so to find out that uh, my great granduncle, uh, the the Reverend Dr. Thomas Jefferson King, um, had been, you know, one of the founder uh, pastors at the Ebenezer Baptist Church on the Hill District, uh, which Martin Luther King Jr., you know, uh, visited, um, you know, I mean, very historic uh, church yeah, yeah. in Pittsburgh. So that was absolutely fascinating, you know, and, and some of that actually, you know, I'm sure uh, even even though I didn't know, it probably rubbed off on me, you know, some of his leadership qualities. He yeah. uh, did things between um, interracial, between Jewish and white and black. Um, so I'm very proud of that. Oh yeah, you should be. I mean, the uh, it's incredible to learn when these facts. See, I I I seem to I, I learn. I have pastors and ministers in my family tree way back when to the 1600s. Oh my god! Some of these people were not Puritans. You know what I mean? Uh, trying people for witches and stuff like that. Not the witches, the people trying the people for witches. It's even worse, right? <laughs> but um, you know these kind of preacher mentalities or this kind of wanting to make a change. And that kind of deep-seated root, you know, it's in you, your DNA, to to want to help and want to organize and want to kind of, uh, you know, I think that's what genealogy really, really does help us discover who we are. Yes, it was so powerful. I mean, it really reaffirmed, you know, something about myself. I said, wow, you know, maybe this is, you know, in my DNA, like you said, um, something I didn't even know, um, but it actually is, you know, something that's in me you know and i'm actually working to do some of those same things with culture and can you tell us a little bit about the hazelwood historical society and what you're doing um absolutely the um greater hazelwood historical society uh, was founded um just over two years ago um and it basically uh came at a time when the focus on the neighborhood was the redevelopment and uh the future uh we were uh going to be um one of the proposed locations for the Amazon uh, huge right, yeah. uh, center that, that they were the going Hazel- to build. It's now the Hazelwood Green instead of the, the that brown site that they're yes. redeveloping? Yes, the former um, JNL site, L- LTV, um, massive steel mill, brown brownfield site that's there. And, um, you know, that was really the focus of the neighborhood. Uh, there were, you know, small efforts to... Um, you know, rehab and restore some of the the older buildings, but it was really being left out of the conversation. Um, But the John Woods house, uh, that was one of the, uh, you know, hopefully one of the um, targets for redevelopment that did, uh, you know, preserve some of the history. So it it kind of got started there. You know, I was brought in to uh, help out um, a little bit with the um, determining some of the historical facts and finding out, you know, who actually lived there and, and find records and uh, the whole Stephen Foster connection and everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it, it became quite fascinating uh, just with that one project. And then it just kind of <laughs> snowballed into sort of a, a void that was, um, you know, really needed to fill with 
someone, you know, kind of spearheading the yeah. historical right. preservation and stuff there. And where did your, you went to school for yes. history, you said? Yes, uh, history education at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, which was a degree that I basically, you know, didn't really uh, work in the field uh, too much. I was working in hotels and uh, restaurants primarily, um, trying to find, um, you know, a place for that. Yeah. And it just happened to uh, be in my hometown of Hazelwood and kind of bring me back full circle. It's pretty That's all these things happen, man. Yeah, I've had like 10 jobs, you know, (laughs) 10 years, I tell people. I've done everything from working at a cemetery (laughs) to uh, (laughs) slinging beer at a beer uh, warehouse, you know, to uh, you name it. Um, Currently uh, working at a life insurance company. (laughs) So it's the, uh, you never know where this road and path might lead you. And um, I, and I, get the feel from following you now for two years, you know, uh, not, not, you know, um, that the seeing how that great the greater Hazelwood historical society is being similar to Gloria Ferruzin, who we've had on the show, uh, use this kind of 200th anniversary of Pittsburgh, you know, the bicentennial to tell the story of, of Pittsburgh women now and the suffrage movement of 2020. So, um, while it's still, and I, uh, please, if you're listening, go to her page, the Pittsburgh mayor's, page it's yes. called or pittsburgh x 200 i think it is on twitter wow. and um and, and read what she has to say because she's continuing a story which just had its seeds in a in a little you know bicentennial celebration which has now grown into something completely different it's it's that's how odd pittsburgh started it started off as just this little you know whatever kind of thing like oh i'm just curious let's just see what happens yes. and to now you know it's it just it's every, lots of people know who what it, what it is that, and the same thing's going for you you know but now it's it's turning more into broad you know pittsburgh african-american history um and and which we'll talk about um coming up here but uh including uh, your opinion on the stephen foster statue and uh which was surprising i'm sure yes, yes. <laughs> most people uh that were involved in that news cycle we'll, we'll talk about that but no, I just think this is the greatest part about this show is that how the history of Pittsburgh is not just what's written down and what we know. Mm-hmm. There are black people, there have been people from Asia, there are people from, you know, Latin descent, there are people from all kind all walks of life that didn't get to have their story told. Right. Because they weren't necessarily they were maybe persecuted at the time or yeah. or whatever and now Let's take advantage of it and let's hear the entire story of our city because yeah. it's not like these people didn't exist. Right. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like it's it's, it's the perfect time. You know, I mean, so many things, uh, you know, sort of coalesced and, and kind of uh, were aligned, um, especially even in Hazelwood. Um, you know, it was it was the 150th uh, sesquicentennial anniversary of Hazelwood. Um, and nobody even knew, right. you know, yeah. um, the year that the uh, organization was founded. So. That even showed. I mean, we, we had a, a huge organ- we had a huge event with the Pittsburgh Post Gazette as a sponsor, and you know I was on the panel. and We got to talk about um, Hazelwood's history and, and future. So, uh, you know, it's it's just it's just remarkable how timing. You know, I think um, you know plays a lot of it, especially well, with social media. Yeah, social and media. Being able to read so many say, people. You know, we we can now um, 
Like if when I was in high school, I mean, you you know, first of all, we didn't have flip phones. I don't think even yet. But the uh, you know my Motorola Razr, you know, yeah, pagers, you know. So the uh, but there was no way to easily access this information that we are currently sharing. Yes, and um, even with newspaper digital archives or even ancestry.com, oh right. you know. 15, 20 years ago is definitely not the same thing it is today. Yes. And uh, on all these new access to records, which people previously just have never had that opportunity no. to do, or it was so so much information, there was no easy way to kind of, you know, filter through it without literally going page by page in a newspaper. Right. And, and Microfilm. Yeah. <laughs> so we're finding out this information that some has literally been lost, just lost, it's lost information. And um, information that could be the key to inspiring a future generation yes, uh, to to want to achieve things for themselves. Um, I, we talked on a, a previous episode, um, or our future episode, <laughs> depends on what order you listen to this in, but um, about all the different pol- just politicians who have been or born and raised in Pittsburgh and Allegheny County. And uh, there's like uh, at least, you know, 16 up. Okay, and I'm talking about mayors of San Diego, mayors of Montana, you know, like, you know, different things all over the place. And um, if you were to come tell me that, or even a young law student, you know, uh, you'd say, well, here's here's a list of 100 people you could look up to, each one with a fascinating tale and story about how they got to where they are, how they, you know, became the ambassador to Denmark, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh. (laughs) So it's like, how does that happen? And, um, you know, then I would have been like, well, if these guys could do it, I certainly can do it. Right. Why not give it a try? Um, and I think that lacks a lot in, in just education in general. These stories that we're finding yes. are, are, are have the availability to inspire a, f- a whole new generation of, of, of children. And uh, I, t- I talked to third graders, fourth graders, and, and, and about these same types of tales. They don't sugarcoat. A lot. I mean, I won't tell them about where the public beheadings happen, <laughs> you know, and uh, and strange things like that. But I do talk about everything, you know, the fact that, um, you know, Pittsburgh history just did not begin here with a European settler, you know, who just wandered in, you know, right. or took it by force. Like, who did he take it by force? Right. And those people had it for thousands of years, yes. thousands, not just a hundred, two hundred well, years, two hundred fifty years, ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. That's so, sort of what it says, you know. Right. Like, you know that there was much more. Yeah. Uh, you know. You to think that everybody agreed with this purchase? You know, so it, it was like uh, certainly um, you could see how they viewed, you know, American history just in general, but then also um, all this lost history. Well, the way you that know? American history is portrayed mm-hmm. is by here's what the white people did. Right, and here's George Washington. He was in Pittsburgh, and I was like, "Oh, holy, that's nice." George Washington was here, right? And then some things happen, and then David L. Lawrence is mayor. You know, <laughs> right. and it's like right. there were a ton of people of oh all goodness. creeds yeah. and races yeah. and walks of life that made impacts here. Yeah, yeah. I and, think that's what's so fascinating about it is just those stories that people don't know. You know? Right, because you've right. heard of the George Washington, you've heard of the David L. Lawrence. You know. But what about you know Benjamin just, Richards? You haven't yes, heard of, but you haven't great, heard of Benjamin yeah. Richards. So, um, I'm gonna read you a little bit of a timeline that I put together uh, just today. I decided to go through a list I had of uh, kind of world first, you know, like of uh, different dates in Pittsburgh history where things have happened, uh, whether these be world events or local events, 
uh, they were significant enough to put that on a list. Um, and by no means, I mean, I'm only going to read you 15 of them maybe, but there's um, th- these are African-American firsts, not just Pittsburgh firsts, but African-American firsts. Well, world firsts. World firsts. You know, um, starting all the way back with September 24th, 1788, four African-American men signed the charter to Allegheny County and are technically our founding fathers of all of Allegheny County. Those men were Benjamin Richards, like we mentioned, uh, Charles Richards' son, David Savin, and a David Betty. Well, do you know about That's the thing. Benjamin Richards? Yeah. Can you tell us about him? No, I, I actually don't. But you know is, the name. Which is so sad. I, I've heard of him, but I don't know his story. Um, I usually read about uh, the first blacks in Pittsburgh as a number. You know, they just say, well, well there yeah. were eight, right. you know. They don't right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a lot. They don't mention them by name. They don't mention where they came from. They don't mention, right. you know, names even. What yeah. happened to them after that? Right. So, very unusual to have a fact from 1788. Okay, who even knows what the I mean, the, there there's a little bit of research on this guy and I found a couple things mainly more about his son, Charles Richards. Mm. But um he not only was uh uh, a free, what they call a free man of color in 1788. I uh, mean, not an, not an enslaved person, uh, but was also a very rich person. Not only the richest African American man, the richest man in Pittsburgh. So think about that. That is crazy. The, the largest landholder in Allegheny County was an African American. 1788. Yeah. Why is that left out? You know. Right. Why is that left out? Do you, you know, like that's why I don't. I don't get now. Obviously, reasons, you know, then. Yeah, but still, I mean, four of them, right? There was only like 10 people that signed the document. <laughs> so it's like, you know, how can that how can that be lost? So here's another example, right? November 1st, 1837, the Pittsburgh African Education Society was founded. Um, that was founded, uh, an all-African-American educational society with John Vashon leading the charge. And um, interestingly... Interestingly enough, in 1837, I found an excerpt from that document that he wrote to the people of Allegheny County uh, talking about the importance of, of black education in a time period in 1837, okay? And he says that this is a transcript from that actual, this is the, the meeting minutes, okay? At a meeting of, uh, and I, uh, excuse me for some of the words, but I'm going to read it verbatim. So, at a meeting of the colored people of the city and vicinity of Pittsburgh, Convened in the African Church on the evening of the 16th of January, 1832, J.B. Vashon was appointed chairman, Lewis Woodson secretary. The object of this meeting being stated by the chairman after some further deliberation, the following preamble and constitution were, in fact, adopted. Preamble, whereas ignorance in all ages have been, have been found to debase the human mind and to subject its votaries to the lowest vices and most abject depravity, and it must be admitted that ignorance is the sole cause of the present degradation and bondage of the people of color in these United States, that the intellectual capacity of the black man is equal to and sometimes even superior to the white, and that he is equally sustainable for improvement. All ancient history will make this, makes this manifest. Even modern examples put beyond this a single doubt. We, therefore, the people of color of the city and vicinity of Pittsburgh and the state of Pennsylvania, for the purpose of dispersing a moral gloom that has so long hung around us, have under Almighty God associated ourselves together 
which association shall be known by the name of the Pittsburgh African Education Society, we shall have for the direction of its government the following. <laughs> How about that? I know. You know. I could cry right now. It's like, I what? mean... <laughs> how how did I not know? That I, and I and I'm gonna be completely honest. I didn't know this before today. And that was 1837. Yeah, before the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um. Well, I, how, I didn't now, know how about co- that. How come I didn't know? I did not know about that. Uh, well, other than my own sheer ignorance, right? <laughs> well, no. I mean, well, I'm not, I, I don't correct, think it is. Yeah. I mean, this isn't something that's taught, you know, in our. Pittsburgh public school systems or surrounding, you know, I mean, this is something that just would never really be told. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there there is an historic marker, um, you know, right on the corner of Smithfield, and I think it was near Water Street originally, um, where I first looked up and saw the name and, and you know, started researching this years ago um, and found the connection to the Underground Railroad and, um, you know, the, the school that was founded around the uh, society, uh, went on and and you know Maxine Waters uh, went to wow. that school. Wow. She will uh, not I mean, yield was, her time. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, just just tons of stuff, you know. But I mean, this is one of the most important, you know, things besides uh, the four signatures on you know founding document <laughs> yeah. that really do need to be, um, you know, talked more about. And this is such yeah. a great opportunity to discuss yeah. it. You know, so who, who was more. John Vashon? I mean, I, I don't. I know him by name. I know him of being, you know, part of this apparently. <laughs> but um, how, how could somebody from out of nowhere? It seems, in my opinion, you know, was he from out of nowhere? Who was he? And how did he come to Pittsburgh to to do this stuff in Like, why did he choose Pittsburgh? Was he born here? Like, um, what was his story? Like, that's a story that I mean, every one of these factoids is like a book, you know. And um, the nice thing about us with social media is that it's like a living book, you know, living, breathing thing that we right. can add, you know, and, and, and constantly keep on changing. Yes. It's not just something like, here it is, that's in textbook now, permanent, you know. Exactly. There's no other story. And a, and a place to really, you know, share ongoing research, you know, because some of these things are so in-depth and complicated that they're going to require more investigation. Yeah. And, you know, if, you know, we have a place to, to put those things. Right. Um, I, I have developed the uh, Black History Society of Western Pennsylvania on Facebook as a group um, and hopefully, you know, get stuff like this in there. And, yes. you know, we could certainly partner on that because these are some sure. great, um, you know, things that people don't know about uh, black culture and black history in Pittsburgh. Um, but I do know that uh, John Vachon came to Pittsburgh in 1829. Um, he did uh, also operate a uh, barbershop and city baths, um, which were both um, important in the Underground Railroad here in Pittsburgh. Wow, where they where were they located? Because I know the Monongahela House was one of the known locations. Same with where the Civic Arena later would be. That area was known as a, some other hotels and churches, this, of course. This uh, this uh, Vasonis Barbershop and Baths House would have been nearby the Monongahela House. Okay. Uh, located at 59 3rd Street between Market and Ferry Streets. Yeah, yeah. Which would have been where Martin Delaney's office would have been. Right, and, wow. Uh, you know, so, I mean, <laughs> That's this, another big name, you know, that you can't just pass over. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, right next to Martin Delaney. Next. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean we're, we're, we are actually are going to be doing an entire show about nothing but Martin Delaney. Which is awesome. Because he's that big of a figure yes um that you could could do a show about each and every single one of these people including john Vachon. So, absolutely so, yeah 
And I did want to say, too, the Vachon High School, um, originally called Hatley Technical School, located in St. Louis, Missouri, this is founded in 1927. This is where uh, uh, Representative Maxine Waters uh, went to school, uh, wow. the school named after uh, John Vachon. Okay, well, she didn't yield her time there either. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, one of the great African-American singers, Mr. Donnie Hathaway, um, wow. was also an alumni of that school, which wow. was a... Really cool thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And takes you out of Pittsburgh, you know, right. even though it started in Pittsburgh. That's right. So um, here's some other facts. Ready? May 10th, 1910, the Pittsburgh Courier was founded. Okay, now if you, it is technically founded a few years before that, you know, with uh, Edwin Harleston uh, as the main guy self-publishing the paper. Wow. It wasn't until Cumberland Posey Sr. came around 1910 to the, really become founded. It's not something. Yeah, and like you were telling me on Saturday about Cumberland Posey, uh, senior, you know, and I know about Junior, uh, but I had no idea there even. Obviously, there had to been senior if there's a Junior, but who who was Cumberland Posey senior? Um, he was a famous riverboat captain, um, and owned um, a coal mine and operation in Duquesne. Wow. Um, so I mean, he moved coal up and down the Monongahela River, and I guess you know, uh was the captain of the of the ship right right. Uh, there are pictures there was, there was a picture of the ship that he actually had um and he was one of the you know most prominent um and i think one of the most wealthiest uh african-americans at one time in pittsburgh wow you know uh, so, yeah so i mean how how i mean it, it just amazes me that you know this name cumberland posey senior i i've never i mean now granted his son had so many accomplishments you know what he's in the baseball hall of fame and yes the, the, the basketball hall of fame the only man to be in both yes, yes um uh pittsburgh native uh so it's kind of um it, i mean obviously we don't i mean we could sit here and literally talk about so many different aspects you know of african-american culture in pittsburgh like you know we could do a a whole series of shows on the on the Negro Leagues, you well, know, and the, and the Courier yes. deserves its own episode. The, I mean, that it, is it, a nationally does. known. Yes, yeah. that and the Chicago Defender were like the two giant Absolutely. papers. It was national, you know. I mean, you could find out about everything from the Courier. If it was going from, you know, Arizona, you know, Florida, everywhere, you know, was a national paper. Even though you know, just looked at it as a Pittsburgh paper, but. It was national in terms of African American history, you know, and news getting around. Um, you know, yeah. we talked also about the part that it played with Jackie Robinson's career. Why don't you talk, talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Wendell Smith was the sports writer um, in the 19, uh, 1940s um, that basically went around and promoted um, and basically advocated for Jackie Robinson, um, you know, writing for it numerous times in, in The Courier. Uh, so, again, The Courier playing a, on a national stage. Uh, you know, basically helping to integrate baseball, you know. So that was, right. like, huge, you know, as far as history. And then that comes out of Pittsburgh, too. And then the guy that does it for the Brooklyn Dodgers is Branch Rickey, yeah. who was the general manager right. for the Pittsburgh oh Pirates. That's true. He sure it's, was, it's, yeah. It all comes around. <laughs> yes. But in just a little quick side note is we were talking to Greg Brown in a previous episode, and I love the history of baseball, but the one thing that nags me more than anything is how it could have been different if there were black players that were allowed to play or just the best players. <laughs> oh, my god! Think about Pittsburgh. Can you yes. imagine, imagine Babe Ruth versus, like, Josh Gibson? That would be no competition, really. Josh Gibson seriously uh, still, I think, holds the record for the farthest home run ever hitting, you know, uh, ever. 
<laughs> so and not just by 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 any color, you know. Uh, I mean, that's the records that this man held. And that, um, and just a quick plug. That's the great thing about um, Ken Burns' baseball series mm-hmm. is that they always put that caveat in it about how this is what was happening, and yet the black person was still not allowed to play baseball. Yeah, until. Jackie Robinson oh broke the color it, it's, it's insane. The same thing goes for football um, history. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, all these games have all been played for a long time. You know, p- people were playing football back in the 1890s, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, where's the where's right. the African-Americans there? You know, so now in college, you did have a unique opportunity sometimes, but that's the sometimes. And, uh, in fact, one of the people on our list in 1921, January 2nd, 1921, Charles Freeman West became the first African American quarterback to participate in the Rose Bowl. Okay, he was um, were, he, he was for Washington Jefferson uh, College. Wow! And uh, they played against the California Golden Bears in the 1922 Rose Bowl. So about that. So um, the the wow. Here's another one. Ready? April 25th, 1950, the first African American drafted by the NBA. Chuck Cooper. Uh, Duquesne grad. Yeah, and yeah, they're they're renovating AJ Palumbo Center, and it's going to be called the Chuck Cooper Fieldhouse. Good. Can you imagine <laughs> if the NBA was all white guys today, and how boring that sport would be? But imagine <laughs> this knowledge. No offense, but, but yeah, holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, for sure, it would be very, very. Uh... Michael Jordan, he's just like yeah. you know in another league, and Larry right. Bird's just putting up threes every day. I'm like, okay, we get it, Larry. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, but when I look back at some of this stuff, I mean, it just sounds so silly. It does. Yeah, it sounds does. Silly. The fear of just it does. we can't be on the same team together. I it, mean, well, because a, of the color of your skin. I mean, another prime it's example insane. is um, in uh, January second again, 1956. The first African American to even play in a Sugar Bowl, a guy named Bobby Greer. Okay, he was a Pitt Panther star. Um, now it was against Georgia Tech in the Sugar Bowl, and because it was being held in Georgia, uh, African Americans were not allowed to participate in their own game, NFL games. Um, and of course, they fought that. Wow. And uh, and he was able to do it, but with the threat of death. Yes. <laughs> you know, this wasn't that extreme. And you the say governor, yeah. in fact, was the one of the people that was like trying to segregate schools, not the other way around. And and he, you know, they were able to fight and have the, you know, uh, enough courage to go there and face it, the whole team, along with Bobby Greer, you know, to, to face this kind of discrimination right in the face and, and, uh, and say, you know what, we're going to do it anyways. Wow. And become the first African-American man to ever do so. Yeah, participate but... in one of those games. April 13th, 1954, the first African-American pirate, Pittsburgh Pirate, Oh, I thought the you meant the first pirate ever. <laughs> first pirate. <laughs> All right. Kurt Roberts, okay, after playing two years in the minor, became the first black player in Pirates history. 1954. Okay. Um, yes. 1957, Laurel Perry, the first African-American assistant coach in the National Football League. He was also the very first African-American to ever hold some kind of supervisory job within football. I mean. Um, and it wouldn't be until Tony Dungy won the Super Bowl to become the first African-American coach to win a Super yeah. Bowl. Uh, I mean, think about this. Not 1960. Not you know, 1961. Okay. Gene Baker is uh, uh, introduced as the very first African-American manager of all baseball history. Not just for Pittsburgh, but in history. Um, later, becoming the very first, 1963, the
the first African uh, African American manager in Major wow. League Baseball. Uh, I, I mean, some of these uh, records are just insane. In 1973, the first African American NFL starting starting quarterback, Joe Gilliam. And you know what team he played for, by the way? Steelers. <laughs> so, um, and uh, he, in fact, uh, um, won the first four games of his quarterback run. This is the 1974 season we're talking about, where we won the Super Bowl. Jesus. Terry Bradshaw took over uh, after him. <laughs> so, I mean, um, he got us halfway there. Wow. You, you, you don't know, hear us you know, out, talking yeah. about him. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's just <laughs> when you go through these lists of stuff like this, yes. you know, um, the one thing that becomes apparent, with the exception of 1788, of course, or 1837, is – 1973 and how damn long it took it took that long yeah and in 1971 i believe the pittsburgh pirates put on the first yeah entire nine players on the field that were of either black or latino descent all at the same time all at the same time and chuck tanner the manager at the time didn't even think about it right just thought i put on the nine best players we had yeah those players just all happened to be African American. That Bill was Mazzarone. the only time. That was the first time it's crazy. in baseball history. So we all know Jackie Robinson, but we don't know about this weird a little right. event that happens in 1971. And that it took is literally the first time an all starting lineup almost, in Major League Baseball history. And it took so many years later. Yeah, Baseball's been around since Pittsburgh the Civil War. Too. Yeah, I mean, a hundred years it took wow. for a team. Uh, not even fifty years or or whatever you know amount of years. I mean, even uh, things like the, Afri- the very first African-American coordinator in NFL history, which is Tony D- Dungy, that didn't happen until 1984. <laughs> and then years, like, what, two decades or more later, he becomes the first coach to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, the very first yeah, African- it could have happened a lot sooner if, you know, <laughs> yeah. if we could have got in, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Jeez. I mean, uh, but another prime example and why they deserve to be on the list uh May 25th, 1975, Elaine Morris becomes the first African-American woman to ever graduate from Pitt Medical School. 1975. It wasn't like there was black doctors before 1975. (laughs) Um, How it's shameful, you know. So I think a lot of times maybe um, why you don't see a lot of history of it is because um, at least that's sounds. generation here too uh, that was alive. We know these people who were alive here in the seventies and sixties and fifties. Uh, you know <laughs> when they yeah, it's not that long ago. Not that in long ago. Terms, you know, yeah. like, seriously, that's like yesterday. You know? Yeah. So it, it's um, it, it's almost like um, not you know, you're not making up for it. You know, it's just this history that needs to be told that just hasn't had no home. You know, other than small. You had people trying. It, it does of need to be told, but see, these are again, uh, as I always say, like everyday history or you know p- history makers or things like yeah. that. Because you know that name, um, like you said, I think it was um, Elaine Morris. Yeah. Morris. You know, I mean, she made history. You know, yeah. even though she didn't know. I mean, it maybe not on you know right. the, the big scale like uh, Ben Carson or something like that. But I mean, right. wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so that just, you know, it blows my mind a little bit that, you know, it, it takes that long. And there's still things, you know, that that it, it seems that African-American. That's American what I love about ha- African-American history right. is like it is just, un- I mean, it, it's just never ending. I mean, you're always going to find things um, well, because it's harder to find sometimes. And, you know, so yeah. it's just like 
and and the stuff that wasn't told properly right. or you know sort of just erased. Um, so I mean, it's just every day you're going to just continue to find things. Well, a, a good example is your um, one of your great grandmothers. You know, you you, you posted uh, this kind of brick wall. You know, you had on your family tree, uh, and you, I saw it posted on your personal Facebook page. And one of my like, you can't tease me like this. You know, my foot in some kind of brick wall out there on Facebook. I got current conversations going on with multiple people now. You know, with uh, trying to break brick walls, but uh, African American family trees, yes, um, have an interesting background. You know, and and to the fact that you know, you get back to a certain point, and 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 unless there's some kind of miraculous thing that happened before that, you know, a hundred years ago, yes, <laughs> where someone freed your ancestor, you know um you 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 weren't kept track of and there's exactly. kind of like this hidden history which is nameless and 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 you were were stuck on the one you know that one person going far back and and you know and I found a document you know with I think it was a great aunt or something or a sister of of yes. your great grandfather um who now all of a sudden has a name it was amazing you, you know, know and sometimes more information can be found through her you know because right. she was married or there might be some other documents um just fascinating you know i mean is. history is so fascinating you know um it is all different types of level especially with family you know that was so so crazy how you sent that to me you know how you were able to find that i thought i knew everything you know that i could know i said oh he must not have he must be an only child you know but <laughs> you found a, a sister and it was just remarkable then i got to see a signature of um you know my fourth times great grandmother you know just phenomenal yeah i mean these types of things and you know it's a um it's something that really needs to be done for all people all people you know doesn't wow. matter who you are i mean like look into your family tree i mean it's the most fascinating story you'll ever find yeah i mean they talk a lot about reparations you know and i mean that I guess would be dependent on if you're able to actually you know say that your ancestor wasn't in fact enslaved um and i've been able to find that on multiple lines of my family but for me, reparations is really just the, to know who they were. You know, right. I mean, I don't need any cash settlement or anything. Um, I just think that to know, you know, and, and to have more, um, you know, research available to be able to find those records and stuff like that. Just like the Freedman, Freedman's Borough was doing at that time, like helping yeah. ex-slaves. Um, so those records survived from 1865. It's like really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so what kind of uh, Pittsburgh records caught you as my surprise uh, when doing some research? I know there's like the Freedom Papers, you know, that exist, um, which uh, could you tell me a little bit about what those are or what did you know a little bit about them? I don't think I do. Is this from 1790? The 1790s, yeah. Well, it's from that whole time period, you know, from uh you know 1780s i guess you know all the way up to in gradual abolition of slavery yeah exactly and like how a lot of people might be surprised to know that you know slavery was not something that just happened down south they're always surprised you know <laughs> you know I, like wow slavery was in pittsburgh i can't believe it. what do you know about the history of slavery in pittsburgh um well you know like i said there were um as far as i know eight eight slaves i mean i presumed them to be slaves because it didn't give much more information but that they were uh helpful in building fort pitt right. uh, which i don't know if they you know get credit i mean these unnamed african-americans um who uh, you know as far as i know were enslaved so they were separate from you know the the four founding fa fathers so right. that's like a whole nother thing i thought that was you know when they say there were eight blacks in, in pittsburgh i thought that that was it but there there had to have been you know some additional uh free blacks you know mm. but, but these were doing labors uh 
doing much labor and in, in building. Um, I do believe that uh, they were doing a lot of tanning, you know, basically when it, trading was going on and things like that, um, and scouts maybe for um, even some of the uh, early wars that were going on. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, I mean. They, well, that's the one thing people don't realize that, you know, we've all fought together in every single war that's ever happened. Yeah, I didn't know? even know. I didn't know that. I yeah. really didn't know that African Americans went back that Revolutionary far. Revolutionary you know, War, French Indian War. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's, yeah, it's, every it's one of the wars. Crazy. There's another podcast I listen to, and I'm I'm not ashamed. Shame. <laughs> uh, it's called Stuff You Should Know. Oh, okay. And they talk about how Andrew Jackson he promised slaves that he would free them if they fought on the side of America. And then they fought on the side of America, and at the end he goes, oh, you know what, I was just teasing. Huh. And that infuriates me so much that these people, they had no other option. Right. Like, Well, you had one option, that was escape at your own risk. Or you, know? you get told, hey, if you do this, you will be free, you will be able to live your life, you'll be able to do whatever you want to do, and then you do that, and you risk your life, and you hear... No, we were just kidding. Yeah, that yeah. happened during the Revolutionary War, I know, too. And yeah. some were free and then some weren't, but, oh, my gosh, what a raw deal, you know? Yeah, yeah. And these are patriots, and, I mean, it just, it was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, yeah. some of these like, kind of themes still just play like, on. Talk about Pittsburgh history. John Neville, you know, Neville Island, there's a whole island named after him, you know, the largest slaveholder in yes. Western Pennsylvania. Yes. Um, you mentioned the George Woods House or John Woods House, slave owner. <clears throat> yes. You know, so... It's like um, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. I mean, I'm sorry, but these well, people yeah. are slave owners. I'm right. serious. How and come, you know. All the founding fathers almost, you know. Except for John Adams, I believe, who wow. would yeah. not. But yeah. you, and then you go, well, you know what? He had slaves, but they weren't like working in the fields. They were just doing the work in the house. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, oh, that's better. Be better. Right. That's better because you're be better. forced to live in a house and yeah. do this. And yeah, I mean, I, I had to recently encounter that in my own family, you know, just the, the realization. I mean, you always know that there's some link to slavery, of course. How do we get here? But um, to actually have documents or proof or, you know, family histories of it, uh, you know, to, to know exactly what happened, it was like, oh, boy. You yeah. Know. Well, I mean, there's you stuff... see it in movies all the time, yeah. but it's totally different when it's actually your family. It does. Oh my gosh. I, um, you know, it, it is by far not even a close comparison. But I had Irish ancestors that came over in the 1850s. You know, and that, potato I, famine that time period. Time. Yeah, potato famine. They were literally just as persecuted. It's literally seen as like a not even a citizen of the United States, or even if they were, you know. And um, my fourth great grandmother, a woman named Bridget Mellon. Uh, was a servant a servant for at least thirty five years. Uh, that was a good job. At made that time. ten cents a week. And at least she actually made money. Yeah, but I think that's like a thousand dollars. You know, when you adjust for inflation, <laughs> for ten cents a nickel, a nickel gets you very yeah, far. Right? I had servants in my family, but it's like um, to think that, like uh, you know, my own family, uh, you know, white was in servitude. Yeah, you know, to some kind of you know be hunt and and, and sometimes. Even my uh, another great grandfather was forcibly, uh, you know, kept. Uh, I, and actually, I do have to look into this because there might be, uh, I might be, uh, I don't know why. And so that's what I, and when he was a little boy, he was kept as a, a servant for a family. As like five years old, he's listed as a servant. And I'm like, who, who's a servant at five years old? <laughs> um, 
So there's got to be some kind of story there I'm missing. With his parents' or, involvement yeah, or something? I, no, I don't, his parents disappear. They're not on the census. So, like, they either just disappeared, you know, or were killed or left behind. I don't know what the story is, but how could he end or up? Or he maybe was a ward, technically, but they just put servant because... I don't know. But even so... He was like a Robin. weird terminology to put. They would, you yeah, know, I mean, <laughs> for like a, we don't know how to explain that we have this non-related, you know. Person so it's home. like w- when you understand. Now, granted, you know, um, you know, immigrant and immigration is a very different, you know, from slave, you know, slavery. Um, the attitude there is not that different. I was just going to say the attitude's not that different, but it's not as like it's not as long. As it is for African Americans, because it's been over 450 years that they've been like enslaved, and then it took 200 some years. Or I don't, and I apologize for not knowing the the, the numbers. But then, okay, you're thinking, free, and then it's right. like judging, judging, judging. It's 20, it's the year 2020, and it's still <laughs> judging. Where I'm Irish, right. mm-hmm. I'm 75% Scotch Irish, and people look at me, and they do not go oh well there's an irish guy irish need not apply but you still if you're black and you go into a 7-eleven in like a well-to-do neighborhood air quotes Mm -hmm. you're somebody's going to look at you and you're being judged just based on the color of your skin in bridgeville actually yeah i mean you know they're just like oh you know they don't think i would be from around there oh that's your car i hang out in bridgeville you know i'm always out there and there is a 7-eleven i just (laughs) In, in my experience, I think it has a lot to do with miseducation and that the people that you're talking about who discriminate are were not given the opportunity to be educated about these facts, these things that we're actually finding today. But even, we, the, even the people that do not recognize the, the so-called white privilege. Yeah. Right, it, I mean, right. That, but the, they, they're, they're contributing to it, you know, by, by not allowing their... I mean, it's ignorance, you know, it's a part of they, some don't know. Like if you told the most racist guy in Western PA that you're living in a place that was founded, four people founded Allegheny County, you know, African-Americans, right? you know, they weren't Irish, they weren't whatever, Germans or whatever, you know what I mean? Like it might give you a little bit of a different perspective, you know, if this type of information was taught in schools, right? you know, in 1920, if you learned this information out, I think things might have turned out a little different if you learned out about uh, all of black history, you know? I mean, right. that's why we try to, to well, teach schools even, and talk about it. Well, I think even in the African-American community, you know, if you know about the history and, you know, what was fought for and what was sacrificed and, you know, even in your family, like how you got here, I think it just really adds to uh, a purpose, you know, that you have here. And it's not just about, uh, you know, shooting each other or, you know, kind of... Mm just not living up to your full potential if you kind of, if you really know the full story of that so i you know so i'm always you know yeah trying to tell people about it uh, encouraging people um i look at a lot of the images of, of how people were dressed back then you know so you'll always see me dressed in the same sort of way i always have a tile and i was you know because you're, it's you're just dressed something... better than both of us <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you know i mean i i tried to um you know, use history as as a tool for like some of the good things that were happening back then. You know, families being together, the church, uh, whatever things that may be kind of old fashioned today, but some of those things really worked and helped us to, you know, 
get along a lot better and things like that you know so yeah yeah i, I mean try. absolutely i mean it's uh so speaking of like education and uh you know i do want to talk about stephen foster now and not just him but the the statue and what it means and um how you know you hear that news you know when that news broke that all of a sudden (laughs) after 80 years or so people all of a sudden magically realized you know that the statue all of a sudden was uh offensive in some way uh yet for who knows how many years countless years it was just looked you know, looked over. Now, granted, it was coming up in that time period where everyone was like anti-Confederate, everything. You know, so we got to eliminate any kind of mention of the South because or the Confederacy. Otherwise, it never happened. You right? You know, so and it did happen. And that's the problem. You right. know, and, and sometimes you need to literally be reminded with a physical statue <laughs> of yes. saying, "Yes, this bad thing happened. Yes, you can learn from it now. Right. You know, use this as a teaching right. tool." What does the Stephen Foster's memorial statue mean to you that is such a good question um and i was actually going to bring that up um just in our last you know conversation we were having but to me the the statue actually represents an opportunity to learn from you know i do think that it got caught up in the whole charlottesville thing and um you know it said oh well this is has to do with slavery uh there's a slave you know on it um but looking more into the statue and doing research um, and talking with the mayor's office and, and actually starting a campaign to save the statue uh, from leaving Pittsburgh or being destroyed, uh, I did find that uh, the Uncle Ned figure, uh, although fictional, he would be the first African-American portrayal uh, to be in public on a, on a sculpture. Uh, so I did find that that was quite a reason to You're talking about look into it. In more. the United States? In the United States, oh, <laughs> he and he's is he the gentleman playing the banjo? Yes, yeah. you know, in 1900, there would have not been any other African American figure. I mean, even Frederick Douglass, you know, who's just having his statue unveiled tonight in Maryland, you know. But it's like it, it took that long, you know, for him to be figure, uh, you know, on a statue. So you could just imagine 1900. This is the first time that an African American is is on a statue, and I always took it as um, it was not put on there to take away from the statue. Um, I think it was put on there for a reason, you know, and, and although times were different in 1863, you know, when Stephen Foster was alive or in 1900 when the statue was uh, unveiled, I just think that in, in 2020 it has a much better, um, you know, uh, educational purpose, and it really could be used, um, especially in the community of Hazelwood, which has a history of racism. I was hoping to have it there where Stephen Foster did write some of his songs at that old stone house, the Woods House, right? Um, and use it at, um, you know, the the library that we hope to redevelop soon as a teaching tool and a way for people to come together and say, hey, this statue may have represented something derogatory at a time, but today, you know, this African-American person who is me uh, has actually, you know, done the scholarly research and, you know, at least Uncle Ned should be, you know, saved from being melted down. <laughs> right. You know, his contribution. Stephen Foster has other statues. He has memorials. He has so many uh, acknowledgments. But Uncle Ned, you know, although fictional, you know, his representation of slavery or the black experience at that time, it, it shouldn't be just hidden away from public view, can is you my ex- opinion. Can you explain, John, why you believe that the statue should 
Stay. Yeah, the same. The same. I mean, that, 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 that's I couldn't believe when I it was such a heated debate. You know, I mean, I don't know, like thousands of comments, you know, on Facebook from everybody, every which way you could think of people from nowhere even near Western Pennsylvania commenting about the, the status of the statue and how it's possibly the greatest racist statue of all time, they say. Yes. Um, and, yeah. and and what it means, you know, and how immediately it was seen as like, well, like, we got to definitely get rid of this. Um, and, and you coming out of this voice of, of negativity, this, this realize what a real important teaching tool and that factoid that you just saw. I mean, the first uh, statue to depict an African-American, you know, um, in public. <laughs> no matter if he was barefoot or missing a tooth, um, you know, slaves did look like that, mm-hmm. you know, and we can't change that. We can't dress them up in a suit and a tie and say, oh, this is how a slave looked. No, I mean, we, we know that right. slavery was brutal and, you know, there was a lot of humiliation and degradation. We know all of that. But, you know, again, it's it's Amer- it's African-American history, yeah. you know, the statue, even more than anything, actually. Right. And I mean, and that what you what you're just saying now and then also what you posted originally when that came out. I mean, I was just so impressed. I'm like, this is an it, it's an it, it made me sad that all these people were refusing to learn the history of what even even the history behind Stephen Foster's songs, you know, like how they even came to be, right. like having the kind of this misconception oh my of just going to be like, you know, whatever, you know, that all the songs must have. Yeah, I've know. listened to every single Stephen Foster song. I think every one of us knows. Races, sing yeah. those songs, <laughs> right. dude. You know, but now, but, but he, they all don't, you know, degrade blacks, you know. Well, and even that, but it gives them a voice where they were voiceless at a time period. I believe that. You know, and, and, and. And humanity, I, I do agree with that. It's like, did Stephen Foster give black people a voice? Did he steal their songs, or did was he? You know, it's a, you could say it's a combination of all those things. You know, um, was he like Elvis and just took everything and made him famous, or was he <laughs> kind of? Basically, that's how I agree. You know, yeah. just as a rock and roll, I think that Stephen Foster did, you know, appropriate the sound and and the dialect and you know Certainly, the, yeah. the culture of of slave but, life but then Absolutely. did he open it up the culture for more people that were a little bit more ignorant he's the list like the elvis people they're like hey i love this song it's like oh hey by the way did you know uh this guy did it first and then you hear that and go yeah oh this is so much better it's mama turner singing hound dog instead of elvis you know exactly it's the um granted you know there was a time period where people did not have the voice that they have today you couldn't publish a song by a slave, you know, in, in eighteen fifty, whatever. Uh, no, but a slave may have ever. told Stephen Foster right. a story or a melody, hummed a melody to him, and he, you know, was able to put it out. Right. Um, and no, so, he didn't make a fortune. You know, he died no. penny. I mean, he had thirty-seven cents in his pocket when he died. You know, which um, I think adjusted for inflation is like five hundred dollars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> again, again, expert inflation calculator over here. <laughs> but uh, no, but that's really true, know. and I, I think that it um, has such a a great context that could be explored more today than it could be then. You know, I mean, yeah. we're at a place again, like I said about timing. We could really talk about that and, and kind of get the things out. Instead of just saying, oh, it's racist, let's just put it away in storage forever. Right, right. You know, instead of saying, no, well, why is it racist? You know, why does it make you feel uncomfortable? Let's try to heal this. You right. Know? Yeah, that, that's yeah. What I, that was my Well, yes. Thing. I mean, you have to use these things as a teaching tool. Otherwise, I mean, what's the point? You know, I mean, it's the, these things were, um, they're all there for us. 
you just have to inspire the curiosity and the others, you know, to want to, to take up the mission themselves and say, you know, here's the information now. Right. You know, it's still building. It's still never will ever be finished. None of our family trees will ever be finished. You know, there's you go back to a certain time period. We're all just right. nameless people. You know, that somehow we we all go back to Africa. You yes. Know? I mean, we Absolutely. really truly do. We and, really do. And we all will be nameless people hundred years. And we from will. Now. You know. So it, it, like like Andy was saying that hundreds from years from now, you know, people might not know our name, but they might know what we did or what kind of thing we did to make a difference yes. today into the lives of others. And, and uh, I, I feel you have a unique opportunity and and uh, a thing that you could wow. literally, not just in Pittsburgh, but use that, you know, uh, for to expand all of Western Pennsylvania, all of Pennsylvania, all of America, man. And like it's the, uh, wow. um, that's an important thing. Yeah, we need we really need voices is. like yours. Yeah, we do. None of us can do this alone. And um, your passion is extremely clear in your mind and heart are all in the right places, you know, and it's important to talk about these, these things. I mean, it's a shame that we have to talk about them. What do you, you know, we can't change the past. Yes. We can change the future together. You know what right. I mean? Right. Uh, you, and, you, you, you cannot deny the Holocaust. Correct. People try to deny the Holocaust, but right. you have to, when I was in high school, we watched footage mm-hmm. of whenever the allies came in and it was, horrifying to watch but i cannot change what happened yeah it, it, it is the most important thing to remember and I, I i do have to say it it's not any of our faults it's not your fault it's not my fault you know it, it's not, not nobody alive today with the exception of you know it's my fault <laughs> you know but you know i i, I could say there's instances of course in the 50s 60s 70s whatever 80s. no it's not though and but, i still have you know what i mean some white people say oh i'm so sorry you know about that <laughs> and i'm like why are you sorry you right know? But like, uh, I, I think that guilt trip for uh, from the white side of things. It's community shaming. It, Some of this yeah, stuff it it sounds makes you, bad and terrible. Yeah, it today, makes you like, you know. You know so you want to forget about it. Right. I do get that. I get that. How Just you like the Holocaust. About you don't right. want to keep looking at those images every year. Right. But you mm-hmm. will. You need. It's important to talk about it. Important. Some people today yeah. don't know what happened. Yeah. So it's about them. The people yeah. who went through it, it, it's terrible for them to keep be reminding of yeah. it. You know, I have to go through this with African-American history and the pictures of black men being burned on the ground. You know, I right, mean, that's right. not a good thing, you know, that we want to remember. But right. some people never saw that or some people, you know, young today might change, you know, might say, oh, my goodness. You know, I didn't yeah. know that that happened. Let me be a better, you know, moral person or something, you yeah. know, to try yeah. to, you know, counteract that kind of stuff. You but know, but I knows? think they, that, that adding to that to understand that. Yeah, you know, you, Jaquay, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. You know what I mean? No. Like, we can together work, you know, work together. Right, and that's to, such to, a beautiful thing. It is, you because, know. Because, you know, yeah. 50 years ago, we would have had to have a rope right. divided in between us. <laughs> you well, know, you a know. Or, or door. The, the black you know? society, the white society, you know. I think that ignorance breeds hate. Mm-hmm. And if right. you are ignorant to your cause then there are are going to be repercussions. There's a gentleman who I watched a documentary about a, a year or two ago. He's this uh, black guy, and he started bef- befriending KKK members. And is he now has 10 to 20 robes of Grand Dragons and I don't know what their 
dumb names are. Poobahs. Yeah. But, and then, like, <laughs> sorry, I'm uh, not hot, an expert. hot take. The KKK <laughs> exactly. is dumb. Right. Um, but the, he has their robes after he talked to them for years. Mm-hmm. And he's a gentleman from Baltimore. And he has changed the culture of these people that grew up just hating people that weren't like him. Yeah. And then he also goes to a Black Lives Matter movement and has a conversation and gets in a fight with a gentleman who's just very militant about this is the way it needs to be. We need to do this. And it's two black guys talking. Mm. And the the argument, it, it's the most volatile of the whole documentary because he won't understand this other man's side. And he doesn't understand why he will talk to KKK members because he thinks he's a traitor. And just this whole ignorance. I, I'm actually uh, someone like that. You know, I was reading uh, manifestos on the Ku Klux Klan as a teenager. I was reading the creed and wanting to understand what they believed. And I agreed with some of the things that they believed. I didn't think it was wrong for them to, you know, uplift their race or, you know, to want to do things that uh, were good for their race, you know, just as opposed to uh, someone being pro-black and and wanting to do things to promote their race, but doesn't mean that you this you know you uh, have a problem with anyone else or anything. You just you know want to make sure that your race is uh, protected, you know, but not superior than others or better or violent towards others or anything. Right. I mean, that's when it just kind of goes left. But I do understand different points of views, you know, just as you were saying about the documentary. I mean, it's okay to, um, you know, be, you know, there's different levels of being black. You know, I don't think that you have to always be militant. I was just watching Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X, and I love both of them, but I am a student of Martin Luther King. I, I don't believe in violence. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I believe in self-defense and all that kind of stuff, you know, when it gets to the extreme, but I, I just think that I would have turned the other cheek. That's just what I, that's how I am. I right, think right. that the, I think that Martin Luther King's message went much further, and we can see, you know, the effect of of his teachings, um, as opposed to someone who really was spewing hate and black supremacy and things like that, which is totally wrong. You know, so mm-hmm. that was a very poignant what you brought up. Well, didn't Malcolm X kind of mellow out a little bit before he was assassinated? Or am I wrong? He really didn't. Okay. Um, in the last year of his life, he, um, in the last year of his life, he did mellow out a bit um, because he was away from the Nation of Islam. But he still was saying um, hateful things. He uh, supposedly said something that um, was negative about JFK's assassination. That he was glad about it or something, you know, which may have been misconstrued a bit in the uh, media, but he had already been attacking JFK before that. So, you know, it just, um, some of his ideologies are just totally extreme. But I mean, I understood his frustrations, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, there there were two sides to it, but I just believe that Martin Luther King's side, uh, you know. The humanity of it. Right. Yes, I mean, that we all should be coming together, not separating or saying that one is better than the other or anything like that. And King came here to Pittsburgh multiple times. Yes. You know, like you mentioned, the visiting literally the church where oh your family goodness. found it. <laughs> um, but, uh, and of course, Freedom Corner, you know, oh and the importance gosh. of that. I mean, we didn't even 
dive into the Pittsburgh jazz scene, you know, oh, with like, um, I mean, I mean, all the legends. I mean, um, yes, you I had mean, Errol Hines, Errol Garner, yeah. you know, I Duke Ellington's my favorite. Yeah. Well, they, they came and performed here, you know, yeah. and, and the blacks couldn't perform downtown and, and the hill was kind of, you know, created because of that, you know, and right. Uh, the whites start coming to the hill yep. then, you right. know. They That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we come to where the good music is, is that exactly. exactly. We yeah. need to have you on again. Oh, that would be yeah. great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we're going to probably have you on a few more times. Yeah, because that would, so there's, so many, there's so many tales that need to be told. Oh, my gosh. Um, I mean, literally, we could do a whole entire episode <laughs> about the music, you know. Uh, uh, Which we probably influence. will do. Yeah. yeah, we do. We have to do one. I love we, that. We have love to do one. It's not a matter of when we do one or if we want to. We have to do one. Because- it's not just, I mean, I am a musician. I have a tattoo to my body, yes. okay? If I knew that these legends and greats were passing and breathing the same air that I'm breathing. You really didn't know that. I know. I had no clue. I had I'm, no clue that L. Fitzgerald played the Three Rivers Arts yes, Festival. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Lena Horne lived in the hill. <laughs> yeah. You know? Jimi Hendrix lived here for a brief wow, time see, period. I didn't know that. Yeah. He, he was arrested here in Pittsburgh, in fact. Wow. Yeah, but Him and the, uh... Cheech. Or Chong, sorry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Tommy Chong. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm from Pittsburgh, man. That's a, that's a whole another episode. <laughs> but that's what I mean. There's so much. I mean, the the whole. I mean, we didn't talk about the Pittsburgh Grays or the Pittsburgh Crawfords or, or Gus Greenlee or or you know. But the is there, is there anything you want to get to on this particular episode that you didn't get a chance yeah. to? I mean, we definitely want to have you back soon. Um, I just wanted to add when you spoke about Hazelwood earlier that um. I actually uh, had really been a part of increasing the the pride and um, sort of the positive aspects of Hazelwood, which is great, you know, especially as an African-American, uh, sort of when I walk into the room and they say, here's the founder of the Greater Hazelwood Historical Society. And then I walk in, you know, this young black guy, they're like, wow, you know, they're really impressed or shocked or both, you know. Someone said, you're an anomaly. You know, I, I may be the only young black person who is kind of doing something like this, like founding a, a, a historical society. Uh, so it really does help to uh, negate some of the bad press that Hazelwood gets, you know, because mm-hmm. Hazelwood isn't all bad. You know, there are people <laughs> who come out of Hazelwood, like myself, who, you know, uh, are educated or trying to be uh, positive and, you know, impactful in the community. Uh, and we do have a lot of that in Hazelwood, not just me um, and not just black either. Uh, we, we really do have a melting pot there that's working together through um, after a history of racism. So uh, me being in the role and being able to share some of the black history uh, that sort of would be probably left out if it wasn't me telling the story um, is really important. So thanks for having me here, guys. Can you tell us how to get a hold of you on social media? Uh, we do have the Greater Hazelwood Historical Society uh, group page uh, where you can reach me there. Just type it on Facebook, Hazelwood? Uh, yes, uh, Hazelwood Historical Society, and it will definitely pop up there. Yeah, do you have an email or anything like that you want to share? Um, HazelwoodHistorical at gmail.com is another place uh, to reach me. That's great, man. You know, and um, there is that void, you know, in Pittsburgh history that is just – uh, starting to be filled at a very, very tiny bit, you know, by people like us. Yes. Uh, there's a small group of us out there, you know, we're all trying to do a, a tiny bit here and there uh, to eventually tell these stories, the stories that have been lost to time that need to be told. Like I 
1788. I mean, we got to find out more about that story. Yes, we will be finding <laughs> out more. There's so much, and I'm sure we'll share that on, a, on another episode, you know. Um, but that that, uh, that is a very important what you're doing. Um, yes. And well, it's so important what you're doing as well. well I mean, that the, might fall under odd, mysterious, and fascinating history, you know, that four, you know, black people would have been signing a document out of 10. Uh, right, that, that's right. really right. one of the most incredible things that I've heard. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, I had only knew about the one gentleman, so now four. we got to yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <man. laughs> yeah. find out more about them. Barely even I mean, there's so about much the Underground stuff. Railroad. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot. There's uh, a lot. I've well, been I mean, to a, a bunch of the sites which I really am fascinated about, especially the Hayes Mansion, um, which is uh, not in Pittsburgh, it's in Whitaker, mm-hmm. but there was a uh, there was a tunnel from the river uh, of a family, a prominent family that had uh, boats, mm-hmm. uh, river boats, and they would uh, hide slaves from New Orleans, you know, and bring them up wow. to Pittsburgh. And well, people don't realize that, like the Ohio River, you know, wow. goes turns into the Mississippi. Wow, absolutely. And then eventually turns to the Gulf of Mexico. So you want to talk about, you know, Texas. Yes. All the way up to Pittsburgh. Wow. And you had a way. And that's why Pittsburgh is so fundamental. That's funny, and, yeah. And, and it's so tied with the Underground Railroad experience. Um, it well, was of course, strategic... they came up through Pennsylvania. But Pittsburgh, the three rivers, all that river history, man. Yeah, that's really cool, you too. Know, just all the things that have been attached to the river, but including the Underground Railroad. That's really something, how yeah. most of the, the routes would have been along the rivers, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I it's mean, so fascinating what you told me about uh, the North Hills. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, because that, that's the next step. Like, where do you go farther north? And, and the next step is through the North Hills, <laughs> you know, literally. Wow. And um, you'd have all those tales of people, like, you know, lighting a lantern or having a certain type of flag out front or something yes. to – you know, let people know, or or a certain type of you know flower planted in your garden or whatever to yes uh, kind of hint at that. And there was confirmed locations throughout the North Hills and Shaler and Route Eight, and, wow. and all the way going up to to literally Erie and eventually Canada. Wow, uh, so on nineteen, you know, uh, Route nineteen. <laughs> yeah, Pittsburgh really played a strategic point. You know, coming from Washington County, you know, yeah. all of that. Oh yeah, which is so good. Uh, I love going. The Lemoyne House is, is a pretty cool place to go to. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's just a shame the Monongahela house isn't there anymore. Uh, that's yes. such a fascinating history, just in general. Yes. Uh, but it's, of course, it's heavy involvement with the Underground Railroad. But I mean, Lincoln even stayed at that hotel. Wow. Yes, I you heard know? of that. And yeah. slaves disappearing there uh, through the kitchen. You know, mm-hmm. uh, black black workers helping them. <laughs> you know, and then yeah. uh, I believe there was another tunnel system to get them through to uh, yeah. around Martin Delaney's area, the Bashan bathhouse, and all that. Yeah. I mean, so we'll we'll definitely have yes, to get into that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So um, we end every episode with a saying, okay, and that is "That's it, Fort Pitt." So if you could do us the honors and lead us out of this episode, we'd greatly appreciate it. Thank you again for coming back on. This was a pleasure. That's it, Fort Pitt. <laughs>